Welcome to Changing Reels, a podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time. My name is Courtney Small. I write about film for several publications, including ThatShelf.com, where the show is hosted, and Cinema Access, to name a few. I'm also the co-host of the podcast Frameline. Today, I'm joined by film critic Daniel Solzman. Daniel is a Rotten Tomatoes-approved film critic who is the founder of the great site Solzy at the Movies. Her work has appeared in out magazine consequence of sound pride.com and the young folks she is also a member of several critics groups including critics choice association the society of lgbtq entertainment critics the online association of female critics and the online film critics society danielle is a vocal advocate for better representation of transgender individuals in the media and has been interviewed and quoted in the Boston Globe and Variety, to name a few. Danielle, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. In this episode, we are going to be discussing the 2020 documentary Disclosure, directed by Sam Fetter. The film takes an in-depth look at Hollywood's depiction of transgendered people and the impact that these portrayals have on society. Danielle, do you want to just kick us off with some brief thoughts on, on this film? Well, one of the first things that stood out to me was that, I mean, this this film is going back all the way to basically the history of cinema and how trans Hollywood, uh, or at least trans cinema on screen grew up with it. But then another thing was, you have all these films that I had completely forgotten about, like Ace Ventura with such a horrible, horrible take on uh, the trans panic. To where you have that entire scene showing up and it's just enough to make you want to cringe. Yeah, it's one that watching this film, it, it took me back to when I was first watching Ace Venture. And I, again, I haven't seen this movie in, I want to say, close to 10, 15 years. But that film used comedy to introduce and imprint a lot of these problematic themes onto to children because Ace Venture is primarily target. The reason Jim Carrey became so huge is because young kids loved his his antics, whether it be that or Dumb and Dumber or what have you. But in this film in particular, it was one of several films that Disclosure talks about that shows like the, the violent and physical reaction that that comes of it. And just how you don't realize, at least back then, you didn't, we didn't realize how detrimental that was. Obviously, if, if you're growing up and you're dealing with these issues directly, it's, it's smacking you in the face. But this documentary does a good job of, of really exposing the, the problematic ways. And you know, let's jump to what you were talking about, going back in history and how this film goes back to D.W. Griffith and the, the Birth of a Nation and talks about how a lot of these problematic views were, were started even back then. And since a person like D.W. Griffith is taught in film school. Since a lot of there's a lot of films in this um, in Disclosure that are referenced that are essentially being taught to young filmmakers and to audiences are being told that this is stuff that you have to see, films you have to see. Like for myself in particular, I remember long before, like I only saw Birth of a Nation, I guess when I was in my 20s. And I remember even having friends at film school and stuff talk about Birth of a Nation. Everyone kept saying, oh, you have to see it. If you're a film lover, you must see it. It's technical marvel. But a lot of them left out the fact that there's some really racist propaganda in it and that Birth of a Nation helped revive the Ku Klux Klan and, you know, was shown the way. So all those social aspects 
that really had lingering impacts were left out. And, but I was just told, oh, I have to see it for the technical stuff. So, so I want to know if you had any, any thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I've been, since 2007, I uh, started, I made it a go of watching every film honored by the American Film Institute for their 100 year, 100 movies list and some of their other lists. But I made it a point early on to say that I would never watch Birth of a Nation. And to this date, the only amount uh, that I've watched it is limited to the clips in Black Klansman and the uh, clip in Forrest Gump, which I did not know was from Birth of a Nation until I watched the bonus features. Oh, right. I forgot there is a clip in that movie. Yeah, it's where he's uh, talking about being named for uh, an ancestor that was in the KKK. And then when I'm watching the bonus content, and you could see this clearly in the movie, that the tire tracks from the 1900s when the film was made are still on the ground for scenes that are from the 1800s. So for, for you as a, as a film critic, you've made a, a purposeful decision not to watch Birth of a Nation, which is completely in your right. And, you know, I'm not going to fall for that. Are, were there, are there any films related to the transgender experience where you have that same reaction, where you've heard enough from others that you're like, I don't need to see because me seeing it and talking about only further perpetuates the, a lot of the negative stereotypes? Dog Day Afternoon is another film that I've also not watched. Oh, okay. And that's, a, that's an interesting one because I remember seeing Dog Day Afternoon in, I think it was in university and enjoying the film, but I didn't know much about the actual story. And this film talks about how the portrayal of transgender women and especially in terms of the standards of beauty, they use Dog Day Afternoon as the exception to that rule because they were talking about the hyper femininity that often comes with the portrayal of transgender women where I wrote in my notes the, the Kardashian effect where they they're stylized to present themselves as a certain form of womanhood or at least according to people who are making these these movies but Dog Day Afternoon was a story where the real life individual was a very attractive transgender woman but they instead went for a actor who looked more mannish because it's almost like they felt threatened by having a beautiful transgender woman on on screen back at that time so that's a that's an interesting one without this documentary i wouldn't have known that casting backstory which i think is something that a lot of, of film lovers should should know especially in relation to that film so that's one in particular that you've chose not to to watch and is, was it because of just you heard about the how the representation was yeah i mean a lot of it came comes down to the uh casting i mean i read oliver whitney's series on uh, screen crush and originally a transgender woman had auditioned only to be uh passed over mm -hmm. and that's not the only film uh felicity huffman's character in trans america was originally going to be cast with a transgender woman but then they decided they wanted a bigger name yes and we as we've seen especially in in recent years this notion of well you need a bigger name to have these stories told but these bigger names are often cisgender women the felicity huffman we all know about the scarlett johansson fiasco that that happened, I guess it was about two, two years ago. And this brings up a very interesting point. Disclosure also talks about too, is the, the way that cisgender 
actors are used and are, are praised for portraying transgender roles. But by having a cisgendered actor take that role, the, the film does a really good job of explaining that you're often changing the dynamics of that character. You're making it more about the physical attributes than the actual character. Or in the case of Dallas Buyers Club, you're inventing a character to basically make the cisgender character better. You know, they are the person who comes in, saves the day, or at least puts them on the right path and then dies so that we can all feel better about the once horrible cisgender person being, you know, reformed. And when will we get to a point where transgender actors and can come in and take any role without being placed in a box. I was watching Promising Young Woman the other day and Laverne Cox has a role in that where she's a coffee shop owner and she's just Gail. I think I believe that's the character's name. You know, we didn't have to worry about oh if, if Gail is transgender. Gail could have even been a cisgendered character played by a trans actor. Ultimately for me in my vision of of Hollywood, that's the goal to have that but also have someone like Laverne Cox possibly play the Carrie Mulligan character. Where does that that change need to start? Does it need to start from Hollywood audience demanding more? Should it be the role of the film critic to start calling out when you're having cisgender actors taking transgender roles or vice versa, having roles that the character is cisgender that a transgender person could have easily played? I mean, a lot of it goes back to the uh, writing process and casting. Like if you don't have any uh, trans people in the writing room or serving as advisors, I mean, that's one real way to screw it up from the uh, start. But I think back to even when I'm writing my own projects, I think back to what Jen Richards told me in an interview a few years ago, make sure the character would be just as compelling if the audience never knew they were trans If being trans is the most interesting thing about a character or the only reason they're in a story, then they're not a person, but a prop. That's a very good point. And that's one of the things I keep going back to every time that I try and write a uh, project. I I think that gets lost in the, the conversation a lot. And thinking back to one of the things that they talked about in this film that again, I didn't even think about was just the the different portrayals of trans men and trans women on on screen because they, they brought up Max from the show The L Word. And I remember watching that show and I remember seeing Max's, as you could say, decline when when Max began taking testosterone. And, and back then, I didn't really think too much about it in terms of it was just one of those things of like, oh man, testosterone is really rough. But now looking back on it, and especially how these films point to that, it really shows a, a lack of understanding. And even in those spaces where you think there there should be more understanding, there there isn't. You know, there's not as you said, there's not enough people in the room making these these stories true. I want to get your thoughts on that, especially in terms of the the different portrayals of the trans men and trans women in the films and, and shows that are often being portrayed? Well, when it's uh, being written by cisgender uh, filmmakers and acted by cisgender actors, you're not going to get the same as you would in something like Sense8 or the beautiful documentary No Ordinary Man, which really takes Billy Tipton's uh, life back and puts his gender identity in there. 
which was something that was hidden for all of his life from the people he knew, including his own son. And that's a that's a wonderful documentary. I know I think it's still on the festival circuit. Yeah. Right now. But listeners, if you if you get a chance, it's an eye opening documentary. I also loved how that documentary is presented because you have you're tell, they're telling the story of, of Billy, but also having trans male actors audition to to play Billy. So they're reading the lines and also kind of workshopping the character and trying to understand what that individual went through, especially back in that time and trying to you know break into the music scene. So highly recommend that that film. And what did you think about the points about not, I guess for for trans men also not being as noticeable in the in the industry that trans women are more commodifiable than than trans men and again it could just be to who is for portraying but I, I felt that even if they deem trans women more commodifiable they they're still being they still fall into what I call the the three categories the victim the killer or the sex worker and I know this film talks about that as well in terms of the the portrayals because this this film makes a lot of good arguments for for why those particular portrayals like dress to kill as for an example of a serial killer a whole slew of shows and movies where they're where they're sex workers and then as i've said there's tons of crime shows and films where they're the victims so i just want to get your your thoughts on on those type of th- recurring themes that we're we're constantly seeing I mean, I feel like it goes back to uh, even in reality, more often than not, when you look at the list of trans people that are killed in real life, they're almost always women and they're usually women of color. And do you do you feel, though, especially with the, the women of color part, do you, do you feel that gets enough notice in, in media? Because for I find a lot of these films in particular it's often white trans women that we see being murdered. Uh, they, they, they use Nip Tuck as an example of being allowed into certain social circles only to be ostracized and demonized when you know, they find out that the, the person is transgendered. And they even use Stonewall, which is a movie I haven't seen yet. I heard bad things about Stonewall, so I, I avoided it. But they also talked about like, the whitewashing of, of trans people in, in, in that film. I go back to uh, watching The Garden Left Behind last year at South By, which finally opened uh, this year. And that's one where as much as I hate that ending, it is reality for a lot of people. Yeah. And that, that is a, a very good movie that, yeah, that ending is, is, is tough. It sat with me for a while. And I know on this show, we've talked about like Roxanne, which was a, a short film. And again, that's also about a sex worker and, did one recently on on tangerine and i feel that although death is a reality and sex work is a reality we need we need more depictions like that can't be the only thing that we see and it's similar to how you know we we can't keep giving oscars to cisgender actors who play um, trans characters that die like there's there's certain narratives we have to change and this documentary does a good job on touching on the harsh realities but one of the things I wish they went into a bit more was also just the inequalities in terms of the the hiring landscape, just regular job markets being having discrimination and not allowing that. But I also want to 
them to touch on that also in Hollywood as well. We're starting to now see them get into the writer's room, into the, the director's chair, but transgender individuals still aren't getting the doors open. And for you as a film critic, you know, do you, are you seeing also that it, it's tough to get access to, to certain things that other film critics are, are being allowed into? Well, I mean, on this end, I would love to do more junkets. You know, I would love to do junkets for studio films, but running my own site, I'm not bringing in the page views that are necessary for uh, a lot of those junkets. I'm not bringing, I don't have the social media following mm-hmm. that would get me approved for a lot of these uh, junkets. I mean, I'm happy with what access I've been able to get. Would I love for it to be better? Yes. Yeah, and even, but even with the notice that you're getting, in a lot of these national publications, you know, that's still not helping to open doors with like publicists and, and other folks in the industry. Getting approved for Rotten Tomatoes was the first step. And then uh, I think a lot of things really began to change after uh, Scarlett Johansson and her fiasco that really opened the door in terms of uh, freelance work. Yeah. Cause that was when Jacob from flash film reached out to me to uh, write an article and Except for the uh, pandemic, I've uh, kept that connection. I mean, I had an interview run, I think it was February that I did uh, during Sundance. And then I got the new now next uh, connection, which my interview with Sam ran during Sundance for uh, Disclosure. I got that when a trans friend of mine had overbooked themselves and reached out to see if I could interview uh, Kimberly, uh, I believe it's Pierce, about Boys Don't Cry for the 20th anniversary. Speaking of Boys Don't Cry, they, they touched on that in this film. And I want to know, what were your thoughts on that film? And it's been several years now since it's passed, but that was a film that I remember you know, seeing in theaters and that ending really kind of stick with me. And it was one of, uh, that was a story I had not known prior to going in. And the legacy of, of that film, I think it's a positive one, a problematic one. Well, I know a lot of uh, trans men talk about it, but at the same time, the reporting that it was initially based on was so botched with an anti with an anti uh, trans narrative. Mm-hmm. I even touch on it in my review of a good man, which screened during uh, Toronto this year in the industry selects program, and that was a foreign film with one of the stars of Portrait of a Lady on Fire playing a transgender male. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're talking about an actress that got all this goodwill from being in a lesbian drama to one year later starring as a transgender male. And there's like so much they get wrong in this film. That's one that I did not know about. Well, it was playing in the industry selects program. And that was one of those that I didn't hear about until another friend of mine mentioned the film to me. There was something else I was going to ask you, but I can't think of at the moment... It's got to come back to you when you least expect it because that's how it always works. (laughs) I'm going to be lying a bit tonight. Like, ah, that is the the question. We've talked about films like The Garden Left Behind, No Ordinary Man. What other films do you think people should check out? It doesn't have to be recent. It it could be even older ones. But what films would you say do a a decent job of its portrayal of trans individuals? Or conversely, a, a film that even if it's not about a trans individual in particular and it just has a trans actor being allowed to act in and take a role well i may be biased but this year i wrote directed produced and starred in my own short film 
Oh, okay. I did not know that. How did I miss that? And what's the name of the film? The name of the film is Pandemic Therapy. I was struggling for several months with trying to write a screenplay in quarantine to where one day I had an epiphany, like I should write a short film about how I cannot write a feature film in quarantine. Mm -hmm. And I have it uh, structured as a therapy session and you never see the therapist until the very last scene. And is this film available yet for for people to find or is it being shopped for the festival circuit? currently available on uh, Vimeo. I gave a lot of thought to waiting until uh, seeing if I could get into uh, film festivals. And ultimately, I did submit to South by and still wait and see what happens there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always knew it was going to be a long shot anyway, but it's online at Vimeo. I'm going to include a link to that in the show notes so that listeners can check that out. That's That's very exciting. Congrats on that. Yeah, in fact, if you scroll back on my page to uh, Thanksgiving, the Salsi Awards for short films do have a link to Pandemic Therapy, although I did not give it any awards because that would be super biased. <laughs> the fact that you even made a short film, that's a, that's a huge ac- accomplishment. And, and considering how busy you are in, in general, the fact that you found time to, to write and get it all done, that's fantastic. I had a friend come over here uh, to uh, serve as a cinematographer because, I mean, I'm using my own phone as a prop to where it's kind of impossible for me to shoot it myself. Outside of pandemic therapy and outside of No Ordinary Man and The Garden Left Behind, are there anything else that you think listeners should, should check out? If, if, dis, if disclosure is kind of like the, the introductory that they should watch to get the, the history and understand all the horrible things that have gone wrong, what are some other examples we can give them of, of things that have gone right? Oh, that's a good question. Because I know it, they bring up um, my Vion Rose, they bring up Hairspray. We've talked about Paris is Burning on this show. Bit, this one just came to me. And I should know this because it's in my top 10 for the year. It stars, uh, the film is directed written and directed by Brad Michael Elmore. And it stars Nicole Maines as a ordinary teen who just happens to get bit and become a vampire. And the thing I love is that even though she's trans in real life, her transness is not used as a gimmick in the film. I mean, it's alluded to subtly, but that's one of the things I love so much about the film. I'm definitely going to check that one out. I don't know if you've watched, but I want to know, have you, did you catch the new Saved by the Bell reboot? No, I haven't. One of the characters on that is transgendered. And from what I, if I understand correctly, is played by a transgendered actress. And so far, they've mentioned it, at least the ones that I've seen, but they, it hasn't been like a focal point. She's still just as rich and snobby as, I guess, whatever the Zach Morris clone is in, in this particular film. So, but it's it was interesting to see that a, a show like that is finally kind of catching up with the times in terms of representation. Looking at IMDb, I know exactly who you're talking about, but I've just been, especially with the award season being what it is this year, mm-hmm. it's like so hard to find the time to catch up on TV. I think the last series I did a binge on was right before the Emmys. Oh, okay. When I uh, went through all those seasons of uh, Shit's Creek. Yeah, there's just so much content. Well, if you do get a chance to watch a new Save by the Bell, I'd definitely be interested in, in hearing your, your thoughts on it. Sounds good. 
Uh, is there anything else you want to bring up about disclosure that we, we haven't touched on? Nothing really comes to mind right now. Although if someone is watching and they're transgender, that Ace Ventura scene is a ready-made bathroom break. And I'll say one thing about this film that I didn't even realize. There's a Canadian actor in it, uh, Michael D. Cohen, who I didn't even realize was a transgender actor. And I don't know his work too much outside of the kid show Henry Danger, which my kids watch incessantly. But having your eyes open to, to certain things that you, you know were staring you in the face and you didn't even realize, I think this documentary does a good job for, as, as you perfectly put it, it's a great introductory. And I think, I think people will get a lot out of it, at least a lot of cisgender people who want to improve and understand why representation and diversity is important. Daniel, thank you for coming on the show. Where can listeners find you? People can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Danielle S-A-T-M. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E S-A-T-M or Salzy at themovies.com. That's S-O-L-Z-Y at themovies.com. I'm also on Facebook at Salzy at the Movies. Again, that's S-O-L-Z-Y. Excellent. And listeners, you can reach me on Twitter at Small Mind, or you can contact the show on Twitter at Changing Reels AC. Thank you very much for listening. And remember, you can change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time.